At the end of John the Baptist's career, uh, career, ministry time, he had baptized people in repentance. He was kind of the, the prophet to Israel at the time. And there was a moment when he sees Jesus coming in the distance and he says, I must decrease so he can increase. And I think for me, this weekend that we've just been on, he's seeing a bunch of men and women that have decreased. That have become nothing so Jesus can be everything. And I think so often we live a, a, a Christianity that puts me first. And I've been saying for months, and like, you know, do we get it? Do I understand it? Do, do, do I put myself first? Do I put Jesus? You know what I mean? Like, working through all these things. But what we've realized, when I see some of these men and women who pioneered in many ways the faith in many churches. Now, England is not an easy place to go plant a church or to start church movement. I'd say it's probably harder uh, than, than actually being here because there there's seems to be a bit of recept- receptivity. You live in the UK where it's, in many ways is a postcard society. So these guys have, have pioneered. They've had it difficult. And they've come up and they, they, they've decreased so Jesus can increase. I met with a guy. Uh, his name's Pete Hughes. who's Tim Hughes' brother. Sorry, just name dropping there, but you don't probably even know who he is. Anyway, he, he leads an incredible church in inner city London. And, uh, and I'm just blown away because they started probably about a year and a half before us. He's probably about two, three years older than me. And he has seen the society where they are turned on its head. Now, there's a, the area that they planted, King's Cross in Islington, who knows where that is, is, is said to be one of the poorest areas of London, where, where you've got a lot of council flats, so the government puts people in houses, people with very little money, there's, there's, there's the most children neglect in the whole, um, in the whole of the UK. That's where the, the children are neglected the most. This is what he's telling us. And they've set up this, this church not only to worship on a, on a Friday, to gather people, to meet Jesus Christ, to encounter Jesus Christ, but they're being on mission during the week. And it inspired me. He told this story. Um, he went to Uganda and, and, he, and he met up with this incredible church leader there. And what they're trying to do there is, I think a lot of it, when you go to poorer parts of Africa or India, they look to the West as that's where the dollars come from. That's where the money comes from. As long as they get money and influx from, from the West, that's going to improve what we do. And to be honest, it's ruined third, the third world. It's ruined parts of, this, of, of, of Africa and India where, where there's actually in entrepreneurship and, and innovation that should rise up. So basically, he went to this place in Uganda, and um, this one guy gets radically saved, and they, they get saved into this missional community where they focused on the mission of Jesus. Not coming to church, not being religious, where they actually, their lives are legitimately changed, and they focus on the mission of Jesus. And this guy said, listen, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to bring. And then he comes along and he says, uh, but what about that piece of land? So he owned a piece of land, but it was swamp land. And basically what it was causing in that area was mosquitoes to uh, malaria to kind of be rough. So basically the land that he owned was killing off the village. So it's, like, it's not like he owned a good piece of land. So they kind of sat down together and they thought, okay, let's brainstorm this. What can we do? So they went there and they felt God, I think the story goes, they felt God speak to them about, we're going to dig deep enough until we find a well of water. They started digging and digging and digging. Eventually, this well of water sprung up under the marshland, and it created a pond. They started putting, um, they started, uh, I can't remember what fish, might have been tilapia or whatever. They, they started growing fish in there, and it got to the point where 
it, 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 it grew so exponentially. And, and the way it worked out, and this is also God's hand in the whole thing, that those fish lived off the larvae of the mosquitoes. So basically the fish killed off the mosquitoes. There was no more malaria in the area. They dug another pond next door. They started employing people in the area. And I thought, I came back and I thought, Lord, how much do we have? We live in the top 2% in the world. I'm talking to 99% of us here. Where, where we're living with a car, a TV, that is not commonplace. And I'm saying, what are we going to do as a community on mission, as a community that looks at Jesus and doesn't just think, okay, well, we've kind of entered into the cross. Cool, I've got my insurance to heaven. But what am I going to do with my life as worship? And Louis Giglio on the first night said, he was preaching, he goes, I'm leading you all in worship right now. He says, my life and when I speak and what I do should, should cause others, even, even unbelievers, to, to glorify God in heaven. And I think it's a good thing for us to take stock of our lives and saying, what are we legitimately doing day to day that is echoing into eternity? What are we doing with our lives? What, if, if you get this poor, poor guy in the middle of Uganda who's probably got his, we've had more money in one week than he's had in his whole life. And he changes a society. How much more can we do? Where we can actually see innovation. And for me, I've come back with this burning heart to say, church cannot look different. So, church has to look different. It has to be radically, radically different. And I think it's, for me, just encountering Jesus at this time away, having times of worship, we're going to push a lot more worship at, in City Light because it is the main thing. It's because in those moments in worship, I've encountered God the most. I've seen God move in my life. And we want to see the centrality of worship come into our lives. So can we turn our Bibles to Psalm 27? Psalm 27. If you're taking notes, I really hope this is my water. <clears throat> It's a bit old. It's probably from last week, eh? <laughs> Wasn't cleared up. Anyway. Um, Psalm 27. It should go up on the board. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Say stronghold. stronghold. Of whom shall I be afraid? I'm going to stop there. I could preach the whole meeting on those two lines. First of all, the Lord... Is my light, did I give you the title of my sermon? I didn't say. Living for one thing. Living for one thing. Who knows what that is? It's not, it's not a trick question. Clearly. Huh? Did she say results? What? She lived for croissants. Wow. She's a deacon. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um... We live for Jesus. It says the Lord. If you look at the word the Lord there, it's, it's the Y-H-W-H. No one really knows how you say it, but it, it is Yahweh, the eternal one, the one who always has been. So David's crying out in this time. And I love how the confidence that he starts the psalm. And I think as believers, we need to, we need to have such a, a realization of who God is and such an encounter with Him that we have such confidence in Him. That no matter what we're walking through, there's little things that we walk through in our lives. Could be 
pain, hurt, some of our massive things, but we can have this unshakable confidence that we are pinned to the eternal one, the one who always has been. We're going to be answering on Monday, who created God? I'm going to leave it there so you come. I'm not going to give you the answer right now, because just, just in case it's your first time, or you're thinking, you're checking out theology, no one created God, he always has been, but I'll exp- explain a little bit more around that. It says, the eternal one is my light and my salvation. But, and I wanted to switch all the lights off in this room, but I've realized we've just got emergency lights put in, so it would have kind of killed the effect. It would have just been like a dim light. So anyway, just everyone close your eyes. As tight as you can, so like you start seeing stars. And open them again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Not only does God draw us out, because if you... And uh, when you, we've, many times in, in, in this warehouse, we've closed the door and the emergency lights have been on. It's completely dark. I have to take out my phone and guide my way. That's, the eternal one is light. Jesus said he is the light of the world. He came as light to the world. The world is looking for an answer. And just being in London, it's, you can sometimes get so accustomed to living in Dubai and just get on with your day, day-to-day life. I realized the lostness of a city like that. And we're in, that, we're in the same situation here. No city is exempt. There is, there is a broken city. And we'd walk along and I'd say, Star, did you see that guy? She goes, don't tell me sad stories. Because this one guy, like I went and spoke to him. Uh, it, it, was, it was in Camden Market. Who's been to Camden? Quite a cool area. It's probably the least of the cool areas, but it's not a bad area. And um, walked in there and then they've started this thing um, in, in kind of a, an old shop that they fixed up and they, they're giving opportunity to people who never had opportunity before. So, so, so fashion designers, guys starting little coffee businesses. So it's almost like in one kind of hall like this, they've set up all these little different stores where people are doing stuff. And I met this one guy and honestly, that, in, that moment with him has, has changed my view on how we should interact with people. I, I, I went and stood with him and he's, and he started this clothing label and he's just getting so excited. He says, you know, I grew up in this area. He says, I did some bad things in my life. But I found purpose through this clothing label and my life has been changed. And, uh, and I just sat and I listened and, I said, and we just started talking. And afterwards he, he said to me, thank you so much for listening to me. And I wanted to cry in that moment. Because at the end of the day, people are looking for someone. Just, you want to show the love of Jesus? Just listen to them. And a big thing for me that also came out of this conference time was getting an unrushed view of God. And I think we're so bombarded with information. There's this, uh, someone read some stats out, but by, by, by the year 2003, the world, I'm talking from beginning of time, however what your view on that is, beginning of time to 2003, the world had accumulated 5, five billion gigs of information. Okay, that's the sum of what had been accumulated. So, okay, well, that's, that's fairly big, okay? It's a couple of thousands, 100,000 years, whatever your view is. Lot, there's been lots of years. There's been lots of stuff that's gone down. By the year, 20, uh, by the year 2013, so 10 years le- later, there was five gigs of information being made every two days. So it's exponentially shot up in 10 years. And they say by the end of this year, going into 2015, that there's going to be five gigs of information produced Every 10 minutes. And we live in this society where we are so bombarded. And I've noticed different people when we, um, 
kind of, you, you pick up your phone, you're on something, you're doing something, you're on your laptop. There's always a distraction. There's always things that are, that are taking your time. You have to do this. You have to be this. And I think we need to get back to the place where we are pursuing the one thing, where it's Jesus Christ. We, 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 we just step back and we, we, we slow it down a little bit. And we operate from rest. Louis Giglio was speaking on the first night. He says, we need, we need in, our, in our Christian lives not work or, 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 or try earn approval with God, but work from approval. Jesus is the all-sufficient one. He took his sin upon, him, upon himself. He took our sin upon himself. He carried it. He is all grace. He is all-sufficient. And we just need to look to him. And I love this line. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Not only does God draw you out, but he saves you. He takes you out of darkness into light and keeps you in the light. He is the light of the world. And uh, it's amazing how this theme, and I'm going to be in, kind of interspersing just because there's a whole lot of information in my head from this weekend, but uh, two guys preached on the word salvation, or the, the name Jesus, and it comes from the, the, the original Hebrew name, Yeshua or Yehoshua. And, uh, and basically, if you look at the, the different parts of the word, it means a spacious place. That salvation is a spacious place. That when we get to know Jesus Christ, it's not a behavior modification. It's, 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 a, it's a heart change. It's like he rips out the old. And he puts in this new heart that we enter into the spacious place in God. And I think a Christianity that, is, that, that comes up and they, they try to get people to behave has missed the point. Because you'll never get people to behave if their heart hasn't changed. Belong, believe, behave. Once you know Jesus and he becomes the light in your salvation. I love this. It says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Can we put that photo up of uh, the fortresses? Okay, this is in Syria. Um, basically a fortress. <coughs> the word stronghold there can be interchanged with fortress. But it was a place that is impenetrable for the enemy. And generally it was on a hill like this city. And obviously they could sit along the walls of that city and throw rocks down and do whatever, throw flaming arrows no one could get in. Next photo. This is Masada. Who's heard of Masada? It's in uh, Israel. And um, basically, it is built by King Herod. And on the top of that mountain, uh, he had his palaces and all that kind of thing. And he lived there for a while. But there was a time when there was the Roman, Roman Jewish war. And a whole bunch of the Sikari, uh, which were basically rebels who used to go, who used to keep a, a, a dagger under their cloak and stab the Romans in the back, basically. Uh, so they went up there, and, um, and for, for months upon months, they couldn't get to these people. They tried to cut the water sources off, etc., etc., and they couldn't get to them. Eventually, as you see, the, the Roman built a siege ramp, and they went up, and they took... So only once they built that siege ramp. And, uh, yeah, you can, put it, you can take the photo off. For me, the fortress, when God said He's our fortress around us, is that, is that it means he is, he is protecting us. He is surrounding us. And I'm going to get... A little bit into that later. Let me read. Uh, I'm going to get back to verse 2 and 3. <coughs> when, evil, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army, an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. I'm going to explain a little bit about that later. But this is the key verse. 
One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after. Can we read that together? One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. We, I've been so challenged by this, by this verse, just to, to go back to the point of why we're here. The point is Jesus. The point is living for Him. The point is, is giving everything over to Him. He's, he's the only thing that makes sense. If you understand like a, a bigger worldview, that this world has, is messed up due to Adam's sin. We all have kind of been born into that sin and, and live in that sin. Jesus came on a rescue mission to save us from ourselves. He came us to, to save us from sin, it abolished sin and death. He took sin upon, him, upon Himself on the cross and He died in our place. It's an amazing thing that happened. And you just think, with this verse here, how's David, who is, this, who is this warrior, who was this king, who slayed giants on more than one occasion, he, was, he, he ruled uh, one of the, the most influential um, countries of its time, he was known in generations, but yet he was also known as a poet. He was known as a man after God's own heart. And I, we were speaking to some of the guys yesterday, we had, by the way, every Thursday, except for this coming... Th- Thursday, we're going to be having a guy's morning together. And uh, it was just good because I, I read through this verse and I thought it's such a model for a man that we need, to be, we need to be out there. We need to be warriors. We need to be fighting for our families, fighting injustices, all that kind of thing. But we need to have a tender heart towards the Father. And there's something in our Western understanding that cowboys don't cry. Cowboys, are, they're strong. They, 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 they have to stand up. And I'm saying that... If you understand he, what who, who God, the man that God wants from us, Jesus wept. Jesus understood what it meant. Jesus couldn't go a day without having intimacy with the Father. And I want to challenge the dudes here today to get to know God. Put it in your diary, if that's how you work, whatever it is. But you, you, we, need, we need to learn how to seek the Father and become a man after God's own heart. It's amazing what David asks for. Don't you think? He doesn't ask for fame, doesn't ask for blessing, doesn't ask for fortune, doesn't ask for these things. He just says, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in your house. Now, obviously in those days they actually had the actual tent of God and the the tent of meeting. But for us, we have full access to the presence of God 24-7. A man after God's own heart. We become friends with God. I want to read a verse in 2 Kings. Let me just quickly read 5 and 6, and then I'll get on to 2 Kings. It says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under his tent. He will lift me upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. And I'll offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. 2 Kings 6.15 says this, When the servant of the man of God got up, And went out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. 
Open his, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And isn't it, for me, just a, a, an interesting thing when I, I know who's woken up in the morning and you already feel overwhelmed. It's like you haven't even had your coffee. Guys are still in their boxes, and they're just like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I have to face today. And so often that happens in, in our lives, is that we, before, and this is what this, the servant of God gets up, and he's like, okay, we get out of our tent, they're like, oh my goodness, we're surrounded by the enemy. And it, for, for me, the, the enemy for us could be anything, and I wrote, wrote down a few things. Uh, it could be need, it could be uncertainty, it could be false accusations, it could be fear, hurt, busyness, to-do lists. You wake up, and you're bombarded with stuff immediately. There's, or there is a very real enemy. Like maybe, maybe the enemy is, has got it out for you. And we can so often just look at that thing. And I think too many Christians, and Stan and I were talking about it, is that we, we, we give glory to Satan even when he hasn't done anything. It's like we go through a bit of tough time in our lives and we go, oh, that was Satan. And i said this before, but honestly, I think sometimes he has better things to do than like make little, little problems in your life. There is reality of enemy attack. I'm not negating that. That is, that is true. But so often we, we give glory to... And, and often what God is just calling us to do is this thing. is calling us to, to lift our heads. Can I get seven men? Biggish. Andy, Rom, Craig, Chris. Come, come, come up to the front. Johnny, sorry, I missed out on you there, dude. Okay, what I want you to do is I want you to kind of, that's one, two, three, four, five, we need two more. Ryan, Tian. Okay, what I want you to do is surround me. So you can hold hands or grip arms, whatever is the most manly thing to do. Okay, maybe we need some more guys to surround me. One more, Chris. You can all see my notes. <laughs> He's a man. He's just turned 13. So often it can feel like this. I mean, you can't really see him. I'm going to duck down a bit just to prove my point. That we can so often have the enemy surrounding us, and we so often just look straight ahead, and we don't see what God is actually doing. And I love this verse. It says that, uh, let me get there. For we hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble, uh, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent the sacrifice and the shouts of joy. And often what God needs us to do is to just stand up. And the amazing thing what happens with David is that his situation doesn't change. The enemy is still surrounding. And it's the same thing that happens with Elijah, uh, sorry, and Elisha and, the servant and, uh, and his servant. He just says, open his eyes. Open his eyes to see that although there's an enemy surrounding us, just imagine you're all angels. Okay, so be the best angels that you can be. That's a bad reflection of an angel. There is ain't the army of God that is surrounding us every single day of our lives. So some of you have pain. Some of you have sickness. Some of you have regrets. Some of you have distractions. Some of you have to-do lists. But I feel that what God wants us to do is to, is to raise our head above our enemy. These guys are my enemies. They're, try, they're trying to... They're trying to they're trying to break me down. Ryan keeps headbutting me. Um, 
Four. Um, we can so let this consume us, and we can get into a place where all we're thinking about is this. All we're thinking about is the enemy, where God is actually wanting us to lift our heads. Thank you, guys. You can go. It's starting to smell in there. That line in the song says, I hope I wrote it down. Where can I go? Where can I go? In your light, I am known. I am surrounded. I am not. I will not walk alone. Who, and you can be as vulnerable as you want to, who feels they're going through something of a trial in their life? You can just raise your hand quickly. I want to encourage you today that God is wanting to lift your head. And sometimes it starts in the natural. The the amazing thing that I I love what David says here, he says in verse 3, he says, Though an army encamps me, my heart shall not fear. I've been into, I mean, I'm not going to kind of exaggerate what I've done, but I've been into Africa into fairly difficult situations where I felt like, there was an, and we were preaching the gospel, it felt like there was definite opposition. There's even sometimes when we've been planning this church, it feels like we're surrounded by this opposition. And we can so have a, an opposition-focused Christianity, where God is wanting, actually, I said, the Bible says that we are more than conquerors. I've got some cool verses here. Romans 8, verse 36. Let's turn there quickly. So I never put it on the board. all about the sons of God and it says who shall separate us from verse 35 from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or to do lists or people that are against us or danger or sword I just added a few things in there um, as it is written for your sake we are being killed all day long we are regarded as sleep to the shorter no in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things in present, nor to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So the key there is Jesus Christ. The key there is not a a self-help guide. It's not like talking yourself in the morning. It's actually, do you know what, the Bible says that, that Christ's strength is made perfect in my weakness. And sometimes God allows the enemy to stay around you because it keeps you in that state of, of weakness. So you have, to put your, you have to put your faith in Him. And so often what the enemy comes against you with, with stuff to cripple you, to, to end you, is actually the very thing that God wants you to overcome because we are more than conquerors. And I think we need to learn this in our Christianity that, that it's not about... Um, we can so get focused and bogged down by little things and get ruined by little things and get offended by stupid things. Where God is wanting us to lift our head, put our focus on Jesus Christ. Live for one thing. That is Jesus. Can we pray? Father, we thank you that in you we are more than conquerors. Thank you, Jesus, that it's not in our own strength that we do stuff. We don't live a victim Christianity. We are more 
than conquerors. Can you repeat after me? I am more than a conqueror. I'm going to say it again. I am more than a conqueror. Father, we thank you, Jesus. We are more than conquerors because you have conquered. That you have released the, the sting and the pain of the enemy ultimately through dying on the cross for us. You made a public spectacle of our enemies. Father, and I thank you that this morning we can lift our heads. We can stand on the rock, Jesus Christ. Amazing that David wrote this verse hundreds of years before Jesus came. It says, I will stand on the rock. When you stand on the rock, you see above the enemy situations. And I really want to pray for people this morning. Can you stand if, if you are needing prayer for anything? We're going to get people to pray. Can I, those around you, around those people that are saying, can you lay hands on them? Go pray for them. Some of the deacons will go find there's some people at the back. It says, the struggles that I've faced, the choices I've made. Sometimes we have opposition through through just circumstances. Sometimes it's through our own choices. But I love what this, the line in the song says, is that you can't stop your love for me. In the darkness of the night, the scars I try to hide, you can't stop your love for me. And Father, I just pray that this morning there would be a supernatural breaking in of your presence. That hearts would be radically changed and altered, God. Because they met with the living King. And I pray, God, that in, in the Spirit this morning that, that there would be a raising up of heads. Thank you, Father.